Well, let me invite you to go to Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you, it's page 975, Galatians 5. This is the text that we've been working through, we've been going through, and by way of reminder, just let me tell you what the book is about. In the book of Galatians, you'll remember that uh, Paul was astonished that the Galatian churches, they were moving away from following Christ, or, or actually they were starting to add other beliefs to uh, following Jesus Christ, and so uh, they were they were wanting to add on laws and, and ceremonial uh, uh, customs and things like that in order for salvation. And so Paul, he had been preaching, he had taught these people that it was only Christ that they needed. That was it. They didn't need anything else. And so when they started moving away from that, uh, he, he says, I'm astonished. And then there was some agony later on. He says, you know, in chapter 4, he says, I, I fear that I may have labored over you in vain. And it's just this heartbreaking moment in the letter. When you read this, you can just feel Paul's tears almost hitting the page as he's writing this letter. Because he so loves these people, and they're, and they're, and they're moving away from following Jesus Christ exclusively. And then he moves into this, and he says, okay, here's how you live this life. In verse 16 of chapter 5, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But... If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I I warn you... As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. You know, this is the word of the living God, and it really should cause us to focus our entire attention every time we open the book and read it, or it's read to us. Here we have this text where Paul is describing what is it like to walk in the Spirit? What does that look like? Basically, what should a Christian, a Christ follower, what should their lives look like? What should they be striving for? And we talked about how before, like particularly last week, we talked about how to fight for joy and how all these things we have to fight for because we have our sin nature that if we're Christ followers, if we're believers in Christ, we still have this sin nature right now until when Jesus comes back and sets all things right and and he makes us new. But until that day, we still have this sin nature that was warring against our souls and we're fighting against all the time. So all these things that we're talking about, love, joy, peace, patience, all these things, these These are things that the Christian is fighting for. And that's the evidence of spirit in their life, is when they're actually fighting for those things. And peace is no different. 
I mean, and it's one of those things where everyone wants peace, right? I mean, from the stereotypical Miss America response, right, okay, to the mom at home with two toddlers who are bickering all the time, right, okay, what is it that we all want? Peace, right? I, I, I remember, you know, one of my parents, and I, you know, probably both, but they said it, I just want some peace and quiet, right? Has anyone ever wanted that at all? Oh, you liars, all right? You guys, are, you know, okay, this is how we raise our hands, okay? All right, we can do it this way or this way, okay? You have two choices here, because I know you all want peace. So otherwise, my open illustration doesn't work, so you got to do that, okay? So how do we get peace? That's the question then. That's the question. Is, is this idea of peace here. What, how do we get that? If we all want it, but yet it is elusive to us, how do we get it? I have two thoughts I want to share with you today, this morning. The first one is this, is that peace requires supernatural intervention. If you are going to have peace in this life, it requires supernatural intervention. Now, why do I say that? Well, because you've got to understand, let's go back to the beginning. In the beginning, God enjoyed perfect peace, okay? He had perfect peace before the foundations of the earth, uh, before he created the world. He had absolute perfect peace. There was, there was no uh, uh, dissension between, in the Trinity between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. There was no jealousy. There was no tension. There was no anger. There was no judgment. There was no sorrow. The, the Godhead enjoyed perfect peace. Peace, and we get allusion to that in John chapter 17. We're not going to turn there, but John chapter 17 is this prayer. It's a beautiful prayer that Jesus is praying to the Father right before he goes to be crucified, okay? And so he's praying to the Father, and he basically says that he's going to be restored to what it was before he came to the earth, okay? And he's going to have the glory again. And, there's, and he says, I want them, he's talking about the disciples, and he's talking about the people who are going to follow him. He says, I want them to enjoy the unity that you you and I have always enjoyed, basically, the harmony, the peace there, okay? And so what we need to understand is that so from beginning before the foundations of the earth, there was perfect peace. But man, he introduced chaos into the world when he disobeyed God. I don't think we fully have a comprehension of the magnitude of sin's consequences, some of you know the story well. In Genesis chapter 1, we get the creation account. Genesis chapter 2, kind of a, a summary account of that. And then we have chapter 3. So everything's going well in chapter 1, and we see God created this, and it was good. And God created this, and it was good. And God created this, and it was good. And it's beautiful, and everything's great, and he creates man. And then he says, it's not good that man be alone. And so, uh, um, you know, Adam's looking at all the animals that God created, and he's like, you know, none of these, you know, could be what I need. And so then God, he causes Adam to go to sleep. He takes a rib. He creates a woman, calls him, he calls her Eve, and then that becomes the first couple, and then Adam is in awe of this creation, and so we have this first marriage, this first relationship of Adam and Eve. Chapter 3, 
God is inter- he's talking with Adam and Eve, and he says, look, you can eat anything in this garden, any tree, whatever you want, but there's just one, just, just one tree. That don't eat of that one, because in the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Okay, so he's very explicit about what is going to happen. He says, everything else you can have, but just, just, just not that tree. Now, I think we're hard on Adam and Eve sometimes because we think, how could you mess that up? It was one tree. But I mean, think about it. We are the same way, right? You know, if I say right now, don't think about purple elephants, okay? What is everyone starting to think about? They're starting to think about purple elephants. Why would he say purple elephants? That's kind of weird. There's no purple elephants. Why would he use that illustration about purple elephants? Ah, I'm thinking about purple elephants. You see, the point is, our nature is to go with what we're not supposed to do. And so Adam and Eve, they ate of that one tree. Now what happened is, is peace was shattered at this point. It was in this moment that peace was just obliterated. First of all, I mean, we had peace with nature because up until that point, Adam and Eve, they could be with every animal and they could have no fear of being with animals. They had no concept of being afraid of animals or animals being afraid of humans at that point. They could get along just fine. But after that sin, there was fear between animal and man. There was fear between uh, um, no longer could uh, lion and lambs be together. No longer could, uh, um, uh, would, uh, would man feel safe around animals and animals feel safe around man. That was broken down. And not only with just the animal part of nature, but then the idea of the earth. As far, at that point, as, as God was talking about after the, the sin, he says, you're going to have to work the ground. And he says, amidst thorns and thistles, okay, in Genesis chapter 3. They didn't have to worry about that before. So thorns and thistles. And so all you gardeners out there, when you're pulling weeds and you're dealing with all those things and everything like this, you know, you can blame Adam and Eve for what you have to go through because peace with nature was broken down. Weather patterns, all those things, that began because of that first sin. So peace with nature was broken. But not only peace with nature was broken, but peace with humanity was broken. Peace within humanity. The first marriage was strained from that very first sin. Remember, how did Adam respond when, when, when God first meets with him? And he says, hey, did you eat of this tree? How did Adam respond? Yeah, exactly. That woman, the woman you gave me, and the woman you gave me, she made me eat of it. Now, what do you think Eve is thinking at that point? Do you think Eve is thinking, man, I love my husband. He, he is such a man. He stood up, and, and he defended me. No, she's probably thinking, well, yeah, but you were with me, and because the Bible's very clear that it says, and she gave it to Adam who was with her. So he was right there, and he didn't try to stop it. And so there was a strain even there. But then even as God is talking about how this is going to affect, the sin's curse is going to affect them, it says that the woman's heart would be set against her husband's. And so there was strain in relationship right there. That peace broke down, was, was, was shattered with this first sin amongst humanity. But not only that, the first child, the first child that Adam and Eve have, what does he do? He, he does what to his brother? Kills him, right? That, I mean, that is peace broken down there. 
So we have peace was shattered with nature, peace was shattered with, with humanity, but the worst of all worst, peace with God was broken down. Do you remember what Adam and Eve, do you, do you remember how the first conversation that God had with Adam when after the sin he comes in and what was the first question that God asked Adam and Eve? Do you remember? Where are you? Why did he have to ask that question? Exactly. They were hiding. Why were they hiding from God? Because they knew. They knew they had sinned. And the peace that they had with him before was now no longer there. So for the first time, they're hiding from their creator. And so this chaos that came into the world from sin it just obliterated peace. So we had God enjoyed perfect peace, but man introduced chaos in the world. So therefore, Jesus' mission was that of peace. His mission to earth and his continual mission to this day is a peace mission. And so this is why I'm saying that if we're going to enjoy peace, if we're going to live out this, as it says here in Galatians chapter 5, it requires supernatural intervention. Jesus himself was called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah chapter 9. Do you remember that? When the prophecy was going out about the Messiah that's going to come, it says, and he will be called the Prince of Peace. Do you remember in Luke chapter 2, when the shepherds were in the field and the angels appeared and they started singing at the birth of Jesus Christ? What did they say? They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Among, among those with whom he is pleased. And so Jesus' mission from the beginning, his stated mission was really that of peace. And so the point I'm bringing up here this morning is that if you and I are really going to experience peace in our souls, it has to be connected to Jesus Christ. There is no other way for you to experience peace in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of life's terrible circumstances. There's no way that you and I could experience, we cannot experience peace unless we're connected to Jesus Christ because Jesus' mission was that of peace. I told you those three areas with nature, with humanity, and with God, those were all broken down, those relationships. We're going to walk those back in the opposite order, and see what Jesus has done. First of all, that peace with God. Jesus makes it possible to have peace with God. It's amazing when we read in the Scriptures, it says this in Romans chapter 5, and verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we had been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're justified. There's a legal term, and it has the idea of being declared guilty, okay? And so it doesn't mean that you haven't sinned. It doesn't mean that you are innocent of the crimes that you're accused of. No, it means that you are deemed guilty, and everyone knows that you have done this, but yet you are declared not guilty, It's kind of like O.J. Simpson, you know, people, everyone believes that he did those murders. But yet, the court said, not guilty. Now, I don't know for sure, I'm not God, but I'm just saying that I think that as I'm trying to think of a contemporary illustration, someone who was guilty, who people really believe was guilty, and we don't know for sure, but that's the common belief, 
declared not guilty. Jesus does that for us. Not just Romans chapter 5, but Colossians chapter 1. It says this in verse 19, For in him, Jesus, in him, Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. He made peace with God and so that it is possible for you and me to have peace with God. And so you need to understand that all of us are born as enemies of God. All of us are born with our sin nature inside of us and we commit sins and thereby we are called, the Bible calls us children of wrath. Okay, you know, a lot of times people think, well, you know, we're all God's children and all that stuff. Yeah, I, you know, I, I understand what they're trying to say, but it's really not biblically accurate. Because, because I know what they're trying to say is that God creates all things, and I get that. But the Bible says that without Christ, we're children of wrath, and we're destined to eternal separation from God because peace has been eradicated between our souls and God. And we need to believe and understand that. But here's the good news. It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus Christ, his mission was peace. And he says, I'm going to come. I'm going to die. And it says, what does it say? It says he made peace. How? By the blood of his cross. You know, I was, I, I was looking uh, up, f- as an illustration, I was looking up uh, uh, recipes, you know, okay? Uh, now, you know it's a sermon illustration because I don't cook, okay? So I, I, was, I was looking up recipes, and, and I was looking at ingredients, right, okay? And, and I, I was looking up what is the most expensive ingredient, and, and there's, there's some debate about that. Uh, saffron is up there, you know, because that's a pound for pound more expensive than gold, apparently, uh, which I don't understand, but it is, okay? But another one I saw was like these special white truffles, okay? All right, all right. You know how expensive these things are? They, they go at times for like $2,000 a pound for these things, Okay? Now, I'm, gonna tell you, I'm just going to level with you. If I have $2,000, I'm not buying white truffles, okay? It, you know, it was like until last week, I thought that truffles, that meant chocolate, okay? And then I realized it was a fungus, mushroom-type thing. My wife is like, you do realize this isn't chocolate, right? You know? And I was like, oh, well, I surely wouldn't spend $2,000 on fungus. But here's the point is that that is an expensive ingredient in any meal that you prepare. That is like, you know, people come to that meal, they're like, wow, this is amazing because of the expense of the ingredients that go into that. He made peace. What was the ingredient to make peace with God? The blood of his cross. That is far more expensive than white truffles or saffron. He gave his life. He gave his blood. He gave everything. He left heaven to come down to earth and become a human and live the life of ridicule. In Sunday school today, we were reading through a text about how Jesus healed someone. And when he was going to heal someone, it just struck out to me. It says, and they laughed at him. The creator of the world condescends to come down to the people who he created to go and give them peace and give them the avenue of peace with God. And what is his creation doing while he's doing that? They're laughing at him. And yet he did it. Hebrews chapter 12, it says he endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He did that because he wanted you to be able to have peace with God restored. Peace with God. That's justification. You're, you're standing before God instantaneously when we believe in God has been restored. 
But it's not just the, the he's made peace with God possible. He's also made peace with humanity. He is restoring peace with humanity. This is the idea of sanctification. In John chapter 14, we won't take time to turn there, but he says this. He says, peace, I leave you. He's getting ready to leave. And so he tells his disciples, he says, I'm leaving peace to you. We see that this is part of the fruit of the Spirit from our text in Galatians chapter 5 here. Of This is something he is restoring. We know that the gospel is for all people, like we read in in Ephesians chapter 2 earlier in the service, of how it's for Jew and Gentile, and even including Samaritans in this day, which was an amazing thing. Men, women, slave, free, etc. The gospel is for all people, and he says that this peace is for everyone, and so it can restore peace, and he's in the process of restoring peace in humanity here. Now, it's a process. It's not instantaneously like justification. It's more the sanctification where it's a lifelong journey and God is continually working this out. And we see the emphasis on unity in the church. This is why he says that people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another because that is putting out there the humanity, I mean, in humanity, the peace of God and God restores that. So for you and me to get along because we're both in Christ Jesus, that's showing that God is restoring peace in humanity. So we have peace with God, that justification idea. We have peace with humanity, the sanctification idea. And then we have this idea of glorification, that something will only happen in glorification. And that is he will restore peace to nature. One day, all this can be restored. And while he was on earth, he gave hints of that. Do you remember when uh, the disciples were in the boat and the winds and the waves they came up remember what jesus did he looked out and what did he say to the winds and the waves he said what he said peace right so even nature was being subject to jesus while he was on earth and he was showing that he was bringing peace back to them and then we read in romans it says the earth is groaning to be renewed and that's going to come one day when jesus comes back revelation chapter 21 says this i saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, this is Jesus, said, Behold, I am making all things new. He's restoring it all. It was prophesied in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11, it says this, it says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. A little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so, peace 
requires supernatural intervention. And we're going to see this, that God has made it possible for you to have peace with God right now through justification. God is, through sanctification, bringing peace back to his people. And finally, one day, there will be peace all on earth, even over nature, when Jesus comes back and sets all things new. And so every aspect of the curse, that when peace was shattered, has been revolutionized and reversed by Jesus Christ because his mission was peace. Isn't that beautiful? This is what he's doing. So if you're going to have peace, you have to know Jesus. It requires supernatural intervention. The second point and the last point this morning is not only that does peace require supernatural intervention, but it requires spirit-enabled intentionality. Spirit-enabled intentionality. And this is where we get this idea, this idea of the fruit of the Spirit here. But if we're going to have peace, there's a, there's, a, there's a dualism here in some ways, and I'm careful with that word, of how the Spirit has to do it, but yet God has said that we need to strive for peace at the same time. Okay, We have to be enabled by the Spirit because if we're striving without being enabled by the Spirit, it's not going to work. It has to be in the power of, of, uh, of the Spirit of God through the work of Jesus Christ in order for, us, for this to happen. So peace requires Spirit-enabled intentionality. Now, having said that, peace is so elusive that God has to be involved at all times. God has to be involved at all times in order for peace to work in our lives. And so this is the reason why I believe it's listed in this fruit of the Spirit passage. It's saying that if you want to have peace in your marriage, if you want to have peace in your workplace, if you want to have peace in your own soul, if you want to have peace in your home, whatever the case may be is, God has to be ruling in those circumstances. It doesn't mean that there's not going to ever be any conflict. But it means that you can work through that conflict. And you can find peace in the midst of conflict if you're both, if whoever's involved in it is, is focused on Christ. So spirit-enabled intentionality. And what I mean, but that's the spirit-enabled part of it, that it, God always has to be involved. But the intentionality part of it is this, that peace has to be a priority for the Christ follower. I'm going to close with this point. Peace must be a priority for the Christ follower. So, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, if you consider yourself a disciple of Christ, then peace, striving for peace, has to be a priority for you. It must be. It should be. As we see as it evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. One of the reasons why it should be a priority is because it's commanded. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace with everyone. Pretty clear command there. Super hard to live out. You've got to strive. You've got to fight for it, which sounds kind of paradoxical to fight for peace, right? Okay? But it's true. You've got to strive. You've got to work hard for it, but with everybody. Not just the people who, would, who uh, a peaceful relationship will give you the most gain. This is the reason why the Christ follower is called to love their enemies. 
Because we need to have this reflection of the gospel, this reflection of Christ in our lives of this idea of peace. And so God commands us. He, he, in Hebrews chapter 12, there's another passage in Psalm 34, verse 14, where we're told to make peace a priority. So how much is peace a priority for you? And peace, by the way, does not mean just ignoring conflict. Just ignoring conflict and so you don't deal with the issue does not bring peace. Dealing with the issue in a loving way is what brings peace. God didn't just ignore sin. He dealt with the sin to bring peace. Jesus didn't just put a band-aid and say, okay, we're going to pretend it didn't happen. No, he dealt with it, and he went to the cross, and he died. He dealt with it. And so if there's conflict, and you're saying, you know what, Jeremy, you're right. I need to strive for peace, and so that means I'm just not going to say anything, all right? That's not the right answer most of the time. Now, I could think of maybe some illustrations where that might be, but usually it means that you need to talk to that person. But when you're in the spirit of love and striving for peace, that means you're not trying to get your own way. You're trying to have peace, not simply win the argument. We also need to make priority, peace a priority because peace is the fundamental reason that Jesus came to earth. That's what we talked about earlier in the message. So here's what I wanted you to understand with that. If, if, if peace is the fundamental reason why Jesus came to earth so that we can have peace again, okay? So if that's the fundamental reason, here's what you need to understand. When your peace is threatened, that's an attack on Jesus' primary reason for coming. Okay, so in your soul, if you don't have peace, if you're constantly, you know, not, your soul is in turmoil all the time, you got to understand that God, Jesus, came to earth to give you peace, okay? And so whatever's causing the disruption of peace is an attack on what Jesus has done. And so we got to deal with that. And we got to talk to that person. We got to pray, or we got to do whatever the case may be, but we have to strive for it. So when our peace is threatened, it's an attack on Jesus' mission. And so therefore, there's no room for grudge holding. There's no room for withholding forgiveness for the Christ follower. There's none at all. If Jesus came to bring peace, why in the world would his followers be okay to perpetuate the absence of peace by holding grudges, by not dealing with conflict? And so we need to make sure that we are quick to forgive. You need to understand, if I can say it this way, that it is antithetical to the gospel to hold grudges and to not deal with conflict. No one enjoys dealing with conflict, but it will erode the peace in your soul. And if we go in a spirit of love, then we're going to see that God can restore peace. There's the last reason why it must be a priority, and that is this, is that because peace is an identifying mark of a disciple. Uh, Joe and I are going to uh, India in a couple months, and we've just gone through this visa situation, you know, trying to fill out these visa and get these visa forms. And it is, it's been a headache, okay? And we finally got it, right? You know, so we're both granted the go. Uh, they're, they're letting us into the country. They have no idea what they're in for, but uh, they, they're letting us into the country and everything. But one of the questions on there is, do you have any identifying marks on you, you know? And so uh, I put in the box stunning good looks, um, but uh, 
and then it was rejected. So, uh, no, but the point is, and Joe and I were talking about what is an identifying mark, you know, tattoos or scars or things like that. But here's the thing is that for the Christ follower, for a disciple, peace is an identifying mark. Someone who's at peace, how do I know this? Because Matthew chapter 5 says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The people who are at peace and the ones who are promoting peace, because what are they doing? A peacemaker is doing what? If Jesus' fundamental mission was to bring peace, then a disciple is just perpetuating the mission of Jesus Christ. And so that's why they're called the sons of God. That's why they're a disciple. That's why they're a follower of Jesus Christ, because peace is important to them and they're striving for it. And not only in their own souls, they're trying to help other people have peace. It's identifying mark of the disciple. And why is that so important? You know, I was thinking about this, is that um, the, the, the sense of smell is, is one of the most powerful senses there are, okay? My wife will, will say that she'll get a smell of something, and she'll say, man, that just takes me to France. It takes me to her grandmother's uh, uh, apartment, yeah, uh, whatever it was. And, and, you know, just different things like that, or a French bakery or whatever like that. Smell is like this super, it's like it brings you to places and reminds you. Or you smell a perfume or a cologne or something, and you're like, ah, oh, my mom used to wear that perfume, or my grandmother did, or, or whatever the case may be, or, or whatever. So smell, it just can bring you right back into a memory and a place and a point in time. You know what peace is? Peace is like the fragrance of Christ. It's like when, when someone sees that someone is striving for peace and someone is at peace, their soul is at peace. They're not perfect, but they're just they're at peace. They're not getting worked up about stuff. People say, how is that possible? It's because of Christ. It's the fragrance of Christ. Not only is it the fragrance of Christ, it's the fragrance of the gospel. In, in, in chapter 6 of Ephesians, when it talks about the armor of God passage, it talks about that our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So everywhere our feet go, there should be footprints of peace there. So we're not upset. This is the reason why we don't have to be anxious. This is the reason why we don't have to worry. Because God has to be, we have been justified because Jesus' mission was peace. We have sanctification. He's bringing us more and more like Christ. And he's seeing that go over and over throughout all the world. And then one day, he's going to come back. He's going to set all things right. And we don't have to worry about the curse of sin anymore. No more. And so we can have peace of all people in the world. The follower of Jesus Christ should be at most peace. It's an identifying mark of our discipleship. Now, our peace is threatened. Our peace is threatened all the time. But if God has saved me from my sins, why can't I strive to be at peace with other people? Why am I so concerned that they pay for their wrongs through avoidance, cold treatment, or silence? That's not striving for peace. It's not doing what we're, we're told in Galatians chapter 6 or chapter 5 of walking by the Spirit. So let me conclude and bring the application with this. Ask you this question. Does your relationship with God show that you have been granted peace with Him? The way you interact with God, is it one that you actually have peace with Him or is it one of more like Adam and Eve and hiding from God? 
You see, Adam and Eve didn't have peace in that moment. But when God, when Jesus Christ restores things, we can be brought near, like Ephesians 2 said that we read earlier. See, the sign of a restored relationship is an apathy, separation, distance, or indifference. Now, the sign of a restored relationship is nearness, intimacy, companionship, interest, and love. So your relationship with God, think about how you interact with God. Think about your relationship with God right now. Does it reflect that you're actually at peace with him? Or is it that it's kind of like he's distant and, and it's, you, know, you, you kind of hide because you don't want to get in trouble and, and you want him to save you in the end, but you, you, you're just afraid of him? If it's the second one, that is not what God has called you to be. He's called you to love Jesus. He's called you to know him. And so my, my burning desire is that, that, that this church, we don't, we don't learn more about God, but we learn God. That we actually get to know him. That we spend time with him. It's one thing, you know, I could teach you facts about my wife. I could tell you, you know, how tall she is, her weight, I won't, but all those type of things, you know, I could tell you all those things about her, and you could know facts about her. I could tell you what city she was born in, I could tell you all those things, and, and you know, the language, all, I could tell you about that, but and you could know those things, but you still wouldn't know her, right? In order to know her, you'd have to spend time with her, and I fear that a lot of times we know facts about God. We really don't know him. That only comes through spending time with him. And the more you spend time with him, the more you will love peace with him. And you will appreciate it. So I'm encourage you in that way. Let me just remind you, secondly, that it is antithetical to the gospel to refuse to pursue peace. There's so much grudge holding in this world and refusal of forgiveness and just ignoring the problem and giving people silent treatment and stuff like that. That is antithetical to the gospel. Jesus came to bring peace. I told you the devil tries to rob us of peace through worry and anxiety. So when that comes, know this, know that it is the peace of God that will guard your heart's mind according to Philippians chapter 4. So when you feel your peace being attacked, go back to God. Go back to Him and say, God, based on your word, I'm believing in you. If this is true of you, I have peace with you. And I don't have to worry about life because you're going to come back and you're going to set all things new. And so even if I deal with this difficulty for the rest of my life, at the end of this time, I will have peace and freedom for all eternity. I may struggle for 70 years. I may struggle for 75 or 80 years on this earth. But when you come back because you have Jesus, your mission of peace has brought me near, then for all eternity, I will have absolute peace and freedom from sin's curse. Man, that can get us through this life. This life is much shorter than we think. And it's all in preparation for life to come. So I wanted to say this, that Jesus conquers whatever threatens our peace. Understand that. So financial worry, Jesus conquers that because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the Bible says. So we don't have to worry about whether or not our Father has the financial resources to get us where we need to be. Or give, and he gives us what, exactly what we need. Fear of future 
He's got that written out. He's sovereign. And so he conquers that fear of what will the future look like. He's already got that done. Health trials. The good news is that he'll even give you a new body at the end of time. Life difficulties. The winds and the waves. Jesus comes walking on top of those things. And so he knows how to deal with life difficulties. Rejection. He was rejected. He was mocked. And so he knows how to deal with that as well. The shame of being on the cross. The shame of sin that you may be carrying. Jesus took that with them on the cross. And so he deals with that on your behalf. The pain of this world, Jesus deals with. Anything you can think of that whatever threatens our peace, Jesus has conquered. And how did he do that? He did it on the cross. So this morning, we have the Lord's Supper here, the Lord's table. What we're going to do is this is a, a time, well, we do it every other week here at our church where uh, if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a Christ follower, we invite you to participate. Uh, in a few minutes, the musicians are going to come up, and they're going to sing, and lead us in some singing. We'll stand, and we'll sing, and, and, and all that. And then when we start singing, just come on up, grab the, the, the cup of juice and the, um, and the piece of bread, which I'll be breaking in symbolism of Jesus' body that was broken for us. And so when you do that, though, I want you to be thinking about some things. So... First of all, I want you to think about that you need to celebrate peace with God, okay? So as you take uh, this, this, uh, uh, this piece of bread here, okay, that Jesus' body is symbolizing is broken for us, as you take a little piece uh, of, of bread like this, understand what that's signifying is that, remember I told you most expensive ingredient? Remember I told you that super expensive ingredient of the death of the cross is what brought us peace with God? So when you, when you have this, I want you to remember that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price so that you could have peace with God. Because your relationship with God was broken and marred by sin. But Jesus came, he died on the cross so that you could have peace with God. So when you come up and you have this bread, I want you to remember, I want you to celebrate and say, I have peace with my creator. I have peace with the sovereign God of the universe. I have peace with him. I do not have to fear him. I do not have to run and hide from him like Adam and Eve did. I can have peace with God. So when you come up to the table, I want you to remember that, okay? This is a beautiful thing. But then also I want you to renew your commitment to be at, to strive for peace with each other. Because you're going to be coming up together, okay? So people are going to be coming together. And then there's people from all different walks of life, okay? There's people from all different types of personalities and strengths and weaknesses. And there's some people that there's, that it's just, it's, it's, it may be like oil and water, okay? But here's what I want you to do. As you come up here, I want you to see this. And I want you to see that everyone, by virtue of coming to the table, they're saying that they need the same grace that you do. There's no one here that does not need this, what this is symbolizing. And so renewing your commitment to say, okay, we're all equal. We're all striving to be more like Christ. We're all striving to grow in our relationship with Christ. And so I'm going to renew my commitment to be uh, a one with each other and minister to each other. And then just in a spirit of worship, just worship the Savior who made this possible. Okay, you see, the table is so important to us. It reminds us. It's the application of what we just talked about here, okay? So this is for people who are Christ followers. And so if you're a Christ follower today, we invite you to participate. If you're not, 
we invite you, just, just please stay where you're at because this is something for people who claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And if you stay, no one's going to judge you. No one's going to think bad of you or anything like that. So, but this is for people. Uh, you don't have to be a member of the church. This is not about our church membership. This is about if in your heart you say, I want to follow Christ and he is my Savior. And I'm not perfect, but I'm following after him. Okay? And so as you do that, celebrate your peace with God. Renew your commitment to pursue peace with everyone. And worship the Savior who made all this possible. All right? Well, let's pray. And then we'll stand and sing. Father, I pray that we would pursue peace because, Jesus, that was your mission. Your mission was peace. And we're so thankful for that because my soul needed it. I, I was at enmity against you, the Bible says. I was, I was a child of wrath. I was someone who had been set against you. But, Jesus, in your love, in your mercy towards me, in your grace, you said, I am going to die, and I'm going to stretch up my arms, and I'm going to take Jeremy's sin. I'm going to take it. I'm going to put it on me. And I'm going to take Joe's sin. I'm going to take Carly's sin. I'm going to take JP's sin. I'm going to take Linda's sin. I'm going to take uh, uh, Kathy's sin. I'm going to take all the people. I'm going to take their sin, and I'm going to put it on me. Because I want them to have peace with you, God. That's what Jesus, you were saying. And so, Father, I pray that we would be in awe of that, and we'd be so grateful, and we'd worship you, because you truly are a good and gracious God. So may we worship you now at the table. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.